Welcome, everybody. I'm Richard Krauss. I hope you're staying happy, healthy, and safe. It's a big show, so let's get right at it. Later, we'll meet Corinna Chong, a writer, editor, and graphic designer based in Kelowna, BC. Her first novel, Belinda's Rings, was published in spring 2013. She won the 2021 CBC Short Story Prize for Kids in Kindergarten. And today, we'll talk about her new book, The Whole Animal, a collection of short stories that grapple with the self-alienation and self-discovery that makes us human. First, though, let's get to know wrestler, comedian, actor, and talk show host RJ City. A lifelong wrestling fan, he's been wrestling professionally since 2006. He's appeared in movies, and these days, you can find him at All Elite Wrestling, that's AEW, as a backstage interviewer and host of a weekly comedy talk show on AEW's YouTube page called Hey EW, where he interviews other AEW talent. You're a violent person. This is a non violent show, I will cut you a deal. If you get through this interview, at the end, you can let it all out, okay? All, all of it. All of it. All of it. Sure. Cool. Let's go. Excellent. Wonderful. In this interview, we talk about how Abbott and Costello influenced his wrestling style and why he likens wrestling to a violent Muppet show. RJ City joined me via Zoom. Thanks for doing this. I appreciate it. Oh. I am honored to be asked to do this. I feel like we'll save it, but I would, yes, you, you, whatever. You're a joy is all I'm going to (laughs) say. So I want to talk about uh, your grandmother and your mother and how they culturally, I I don't, but I'm hoping to get to know them a little bit during the interview here. Um, You say that they uh, ruined you culturally when you were a kid by exposing you to Abner Costello. What does that mean? Well, you know, my grandmother said, you've got to see this. This is the best. They sit you down and you're watching the time of their lives and Jack and the Beanstalk and uh, the noose hangs high. And then you, as a kid, you go, well, I guess this is comedy. This is what everyone is watching. And then I would go to school and say, hey, did you guys see the, the mustard sketch they did? And no one would know what I was talking about. What is the first thing you buy in a baseball park? Hot dogs, a hot, a hot dog. Without mustard, huh? Without mustard. Mustard goes with a hot dog. Not with mine. Mustard was made for the hot dog. I don't care what the stuff is made for. I'm not going to eat it. I don't like mustard and the hot dog go together. Let them go together. I'm not going to spoil any romance. Who's talking about romance? So then, but it was still good. I was like, no, no. I was very steadfast in my response. So I was brainwashed by my grandmother. Let's put it nicely. Right. So while everyone else was watching uh, probably uh, Saturday Night Live, you're watching Who's on First. Yes, or I was watching the old Saturday Night Live. Yeah. And I'd say, gee, why don't they bring Elliot Gould back to host? But you understand this. You're a bit of a, a retropolitan, I guess is a good term. Yeah. Right? No, absolutely. Listen, I uh, I grew up with all of that stuff, and then I kind of left it behind for a while. And now I find myself gravitating back towards old Saturday Night Lives and and stuff that I think often, given the restraints that they were working under, had more of an edge than a lot of the stuff that we see on television today. Which is the benefit of having those restraints. Yeah. You know, sometimes you take the training wheels off and then you can go wherever you want and it's suddenly not as fun. Like, thinking about driving when you were 13 years old is a lot more fun than actually driving. <laughs> it's true. It's true. So, But I want to say, your, your producer said, are you familiar with Richard Krause? And he, he can show you the email. I wrote back, I revere Richard Krauss. <laughs> when I was younger, you were like my idea of what an adult should be. 
<laughs> and 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 how so? Well, I saw you on the street once and you mm. were dressed nicely, like in real life, mm. like not on TV. You were dressed like this. And I thought, wow, there's <laughs> another level to get to. And then you get older and you realize all adults are just idiots. The same amount as kids that are idiots. And you just like wearing nice clothes and watching old movies. It's I true. understand it now. But at the temple, I'm, I'm glad to have inspired your life's path. Yes. And then you but I look at you and I go, you know what? I don't care. I am going to watch the one and only starring Henry Winkler and not care if nobody else has watched it. You've inspired well, me to be more niche. Well, it's interesting. So yesterday I was having a conversation with a friend of mine who is uh, a huge fan of wrestling and, and a huge fan of pop culture. And uh, we were talking about you and your name came up and he said, what's great about RJ is that he kind of doesn't care what people think. <laughs> and And I love that. I, I, I love the idea that um, you will, you have, I, I, I guess it's a character. I mean, is it fair to call RJ City a character? Well, sure, in, in some senses, in the yeah. situations I'm in. The, the old adage is your wrestling character is you with the volume turned up. Right. But I think with me, it's perhaps even me with the volume turned down. <laughs> well, but I do love that, that you embrace the, the show business part of of wrestling and while we're not going to say that it's fake you no no it is let's 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 start here why are we doing this why sure. are we pretending it's the, a fantastic show and I, I always feel like wrestling has a messaging problem because mm. i want it to grow and i want it to reach more people and i think we have to wrap it in a different way i will say this though for something that is fake it could be a lot more fake <laughs> we could have well, done a way better job at, at making this fake. You're listening to RJ City on the Richard Krause Show. Watch his wrestling talk show, Hey EW, on AEW's YouTube page. Yeah, and I mean, when you see some older wrestlers and, you know, the back problems and everything else, that doesn't seem fake to me. No, no, it's not. But I mean, it is in the sense that, that it's a show, you know. It's a, I wouldn't even say it's scripted. It's often just an outlined show the same way you would go to an improv show you wouldn't yeah. say improv is real it's it's in another territory you know and when you decided to become a wrestler uh you were sort of looking at the timeline of your career there's stand-up there's improv there's wrestling there's yes. acting we'll talk about some of the movies later uh, i've reviewed some of these movies monster oh, ball in particular My uh apologies yeah. <laughs> Um, but we'll 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 have a look. We'll have a look at those later. But um, when you were starting uh, to think about being a wrestler, I, I don't know that I've ever known anyone who was a professional wrestler. What did your family think? I don't remember not wanting to be a wrestler. Yeah, it was always it was this and the Muppet Show. <laughs> so in terms of me doing stand up and improv and acting, it's all the same thing to me. And I don't see why I wouldn't want to do all of them at the same time. So my parents were incredibly supportive because it's a kid. You like wrestling. You want to do the interviews and you want to pretend to be Hulk Hogan. That's adorable. And uh, at some point, I guess they were assuming I'd grow out of it. <laughs> As most kids do. I mean, who doesn't want to be a wrestler when you're three or four years old? The same way you want to be a fire truck. Yeah. But at some, you know, at some point you get older and you realize, well, this is weird. And that never happened with me. Well, I love the spectacle of it. Uh, you know, when I was a kid, my early 
experience with wrestling was going, I grew up in Nova Scotia, a tiny little town in Nova Scotia. So I got these circuit uh, wrestlers, right? So we would get killer Carl Krupp and, uh, you know, people like that come through and just put on incredible shows. If we may get theatrical, there is a Commedia dell'arte quality mm. to it. There's these certain archetypes that they often play, not that there aren't new ar archetypes all the time. And, but they also have this extra layer of reality to them. Right. Like maybe a Borat or a Pee Wee Herman, where right. they can also exist in society. So like if you, you know, snuck backstage, you would see Killer Carl Krupp going to the bathroom. Yeah. You know what I mean? It wasn't some guy named Fred. It was still yeah. very much, I, they, we wear the characters we play. Do you remember the first wrestler or the first match that you saw that made you really fall in love with it? It's funny to look back and go, oh, wow, I really resonated with those people, with the funnier people, the, the Bobby Heenans and the Roddy Pipers mm. and the Rick Rudes. They were very, very funny within this context. But I look back and go, wow, I was enamored with Bobby Heenan getting upset that he lost. Because to me, it's it's the same thing as Abbott and Costello getting very upset when something goes wrong. And now, I, you know, you make all the connections and you go, I understand why I'm here. Right, right, you right. Know? And what was it like the first time? I mean, you would have been, you would have play wrestled first, probably, you know, yeah. just with your friends. And then you take the next step up, which I'm not sure what that is. Do, do you, you join an indie league? What happens? What's the next thing? You go to wrestling school, which yeah. is a school in the least formal sense. There is no degree. There's no curriculum. It's basically like, we'll beat you up for six months. And then if you're still here, we'll teach you how to beat people up. Right. And, and that's in you, Florida, right? It's all over. So, okay. I mean, obviously there's, there's main, like WWE has their own training center. It's like their farm system down there. Right. But there are wrestling schools all over. There's, there's a bunch in Toronto. There's battle arts in Mississauga. There's, there's a couple downtown there. It's, I always say wrestling is one step above cockfighting in terms of figuring out <laughs> where things are. And, you know, as a kid, you don't know, especially when the internet, it was a little hard to find these places. And then right. you find them and these, this whole world opens up. And really, wrestling school, all you need is a ring. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A, a, a ring and, uh, you know, something soft to land on occasionally. Something soft. Probably. <laughs> Dear Lord. I've wrestled on some really, really... And the thing is, you know, wrestling is, is like the ultimate... DIY kind of vaudeville show where it's, oh, gee, we forgot the pads. <laughs> we went to, right. I did a show in like Waterford and they, they got carpets and they laid carpets over the wood and it was a horrible experience. So yeah. again, back to it being fake. We could have done a much better job on that. <laughs> and do you get the chance to, if you're on tour, to go around and have a look at the facilities and, and say, man, that's carpet on cement. That's not going to work for me. Well, facilities is a generous term. When you're on the indies, which is like, you know, like a stand up, but you're kind of handling your own bookings. There's no managers. You Sometimes you show up to the building and you go, how are they even going to fit a ring in here? Right. I don't understand. We're at a legion and they have some sort of, you know, chili cook-off meat roll thing going on next door. But I, I'm with a company now called AEW, All yep. Elite Wrestling, and they are much better in terms of facilities. And we're hitting all the hot spots, the actual arena. There's a real, to me anyway, a real sense of humor about it uh, that comes through and audiences seem to really be responding to it. Yes, it, it's almost a little more postmodern. 
Mm-hmm. And I know in society we're past postmodern, but wrestling is always 20 years in the past anyway. So I feel like we are just entering our postmodern era. And I host a show for them called Hey EW. Yep. And I, I would consider myself a little bit of the you of wrestling. I try to, there's things I like, you know, mm-hmm. you get very impassioned about certain things yep. and certain characters. And I want to illuminate them in ways that people may not be able to see otherwise. But the interviews that you do on that show, uh, I love them. And I'll tell you because they are, uh, you do all your own research. So you ask yes. you, like the deep cuts, you ask, you ask questions, you've got the, the breadth of knowledge. And I always respect that no matter what, if you're interviewing someone, do them the uh, respect of learning about them. Right. So yes. I like that. I like that very much. But I love how you embrace the awkwardness. If there is an awkward moment in the interview, uh, you will embrace it. And I also love how you don't really seem to care what the response is from the person that you're interviewing, whether yes. they're upset or not at the end of it, or whether they're happy. I mean, you know, Chris Jericho loves you, but I'm not sure that that the rest of them do, you know, or no, that all of them do. I don't think so. And I think my Trojan horse is that I did the real research. Mm. So they back off a little and go, well, this guy is not just goofing around. Yeah. He's trying very hard. And it it is interesting to see these, you know, wrestling, especially on TV. It's, it's so fast paced and there's so much going on at once. You don't get a chance to sit with those characters and right. see the depth. But I think here you do when someone is ignoring your answer or, or when I get mad at you because you don't know who Vicki Lawrence is, they've never <laughs> been put in this situation before. But well, I've also been, you know, I feel like you could watch me and tell that I am a big Dick Cavett fan yeah. of that sitting there and that taking each other in. This is yeah. uh, you know, Orson Welles and Dick Cavett and we're just reading each other. Absolutely. I, just, I love that. It's this little, you know, it's like speed dating for me. Well, the interviews that used to be on wrestling when I was a kid and that I'm most familiar with were very perfunctory. You know, uh, how did did that work out for you? How did, you know, and always done by guys that looked like they were a million years old who were (laughs) asking questions that the, that the wrestlers obviously knew the answers to. And it was just a a setup for them to uh, get angry or do a sales pitch for their next match. This, the the show that you do doesn't feel like that. And that's what's uh, cool about it. Yes, I was very, and again, it goes back to being like a postmodern. I've seen so much of that, that I just Mm. got sick of it, you know, and thought, what happened if we put people in this situation? What happens if I ask them, is God a woman? Which is a question I asked a a wrestler named Athena. What would her response be? And to their credit, you know, every guest has basically trust fallen into me and saying, Mm. I don't need to look at the questions. We'll just, we'll do whatever you want, which is great. And, yeah. and to see them react as who they are in real time, I feel like, you know, makes them more endearing. And, you, and then you go, oh, gee, I would really want to watch these people fight. I am RJ City, and my guest is Athena. Hey. Hey. Is God a woman? What? What? Well, certainly in your case, yes, but there's sort of a Greek goddess thing. We should start there. Do you believe in monotheism, or are you a real Greek god for everything kind of gal? I'm, I'm, I'm just very confused here. Um, I believe in myself, and that's pretty much all that matters. Okay. okay. My greatest compliment is, like, my wife hates wrestling, 
She loves watching AEW. You're listening to RJ City on the Richard Krause Show. Watch his wrestling talk show, Hey EW, on AEW's YouTube page. And what do uh, the fans, other than that person, how have the fans uh, uh, embraced it? Because it is different. It feels different. But I think that... Um, all of wrestling is evolving and things are changing. As you say, you're trying to, you know, it's, it's always 20 years behind. You're pushing it 20 years forward. Yes, <laughs> it's it's great. They've been incredibly supportive. It's not on TV. It's in this little corner of YouTube. And yep. it grows like there's people who support it very much. And there's other people who just stumble on it. And they go, oh, you know, it's always like I have my own rabbit hole, basically. Right. But it is so nice to see wrestlers do things on the show and play around. And then it catches on and then they end up doing it on TV. I listened to an interview uh, podcast that you did with Chris Jericho, and yes. it was so much fun. The two of you together, I don't know why you're not uh, taking that on the road. I think we may at <laughs> really? some point. And it's, so, I mean, it's crazy to me growing up watching Chris Jericho. And then, you know, he sees my stuff and goes, when am I going to be on the show? And then we had a blast on the show and he said, well, let's just do more of it. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah, you guys really seem to hit it off, and and I loved all the riffing on what RJ means. Uh, that you know, <laughs> is it a tribute to Ron Jeremy? Is it Rick James? Who is Ooh. it? What is uh, it? My choice is Raul Julia. That's Raul the best Julia. Way to go here. Yeah, yeah. So tell me a little bit. Uh, there's some rapid fire questions, and we'll yes. talk about the movies. Tell me a little bit about uh, the the unexpected thing that made me laugh so much: Bee's knees. Oh, you're, you're talking about knee Arthur. Knee Arthur. Knee yes. Arthur. So I came up with a move. I was always experimenting and I did this one move and it was this knee strike. I kind of pop up the guy and I, I hit him as he comes down. I lift my knee up and I hit him in the face and I went, wow, that looks nice. Maybe this is my finishing move. You're always kind of experimenting. You know, mm -hmm. it's like having a closing joke. What really right. works? Right. And then I said, what should I name this? And I've gone through so many stupid names and almost every wrestling move is named something stupid. <laughs> and someone suggested knee Arthur. And I went, well, that's, that it just sounded nice. Yeah. And then my friend who I believe, you know, Nug Nargang. Oh yeah. I love Nug. Yeah. Yes. It was uh, to his credit. He said, you should get a picture of B Arthur <laughs> on your knee. And then you hit them with her face. And I mean, she has a great face to hit mm -hmm. someone with. And I thought, yeah, let's. And then it just became this thing. And I love that people have watched it and reacted and enjoyed it and have no idea who B Arthur is. That's funny. So it becomes this other love. But that reminds me of when I used to watch The Muppet Show or SCTV and enjoy it. But I didn't know who Zero Mostel was. Yeah, or Joey Heatherton or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes. I just enjoyed it for what it is. So it becomes this, this you know, new universe for other people. Will David Arquette be able to make Bozo the Clown and clowns in general less scary? He's certainly trying. So, <laughs> you yeah, guys are friends. That's why I'm asking about David Arquette. Yes, we're we're longtime friends, and he did a wrestling documentary, and we've wrestled together. And his next attempt is to revive the clown. He he's the new owner of Bozo the Clown, and he has a tremendous. You know, they have this basically vault of old Bozo stuff. Bozo was all over the place at one yeah. point, and he's he's working on a documentary to kind of figure out what happened. And where the clowns went wrong. Because at one mm. time, clowns were very beloved. <laughs> and he has the, the purest heart of anyone I've ever met. For him to say, no, let's take this clown thing and make people love clowns again. And we're all going, you know, including his wife and family. Are you out of your mind? And the answer is yes, but that's not going to deter him. 
Right. If anyone can do it, it's certainly him. Bozo's forever going to be relevant. I mean, we just introduced the first female Bozo, Jozo Bozo, and the first Bozo of color. So it's a whole new uh, time for Bozo. We've got all these really fun things happening. I don't think it's going to work. And I, I would love it to. I would love it to. But the, the it's too deep. It, the hook is in too deep, I think. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Well, he's trying to reimagine what a clown could be. Mm. You know, he's he will he will never give up hope. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's the important thing. Have you ever been seriously injured in the ring? Not seriously in terms of broken bones, but you certainly get banged up a lot. One time I was, uh, there was a wrestler. I wrestled, his name was Bloody Bill Scullion, which is probably a bad sign already. <laughs> I think we were in the Galleria Mall, which tells you how obscure the yeah. beginnings are. <laughs> And his finishing move was he took off his shirt, he put lighter fluid on it, and he lit his shirt on fire and punched me in the chest. And I remember in the moment thinking, oh, my God, am I on fire? And it's one of those moments where, you know, really, really, only in wrestling do you go, this is what I must do. And did you, like, you knew it was coming, though. Yes. And that's the, that's the other thing. You, You know it's coming, so I'm thinking about it all day. <laughs> wow, yeah. uh, that is outside. I, uh, there are some ridiculous aspects to my job, but getting punched in the chest by a, a flaming T-shirt, yeah, is another level. It's probably not even the weirdest thing that's happened in the Galleria Mall, though. <laughs> so let's talk about uh, some of the movies. When I first heard about you, you were R.J. Skinner. Yeah, my my real name. Yeah. And yes. and so uh, and if you go on IMDb, uh, there's splat a lot, uh, yes. which was huge for a while. And you were uh, a character on that show, and you got sort of banged around a little bit. Jason yeah. Agnew was one of the hosts, as I yes. recall. Yes, uh, it was Wipeout, but for kids, mm-hmm. basically. And we would be gladiators defending the castle. And I got to insult kids. <laughs> it, it was similar to wrestling in the sense that they're like, you know, say whatever you want, and, and we'll figure it out. That show's a blast, and it was, I think, is still airing places. It might still be on some select airplanes. Tell me about Club Utopia. You played uh, a bouncer in that one, and but it, one of the actors in it is Brett Halsey, who had been yes. in Godfather 3, right? Yes, and he is a, a real actor. He had a pencil thin mustache, <laughs> he wore the napkin on his collar, you know, when he got the makeup done. Yep. I just went, wow. I spent most of my time just watching him. Right. Yeah, I don't, I don't uh, think my role is anything to write home about. I, I, I pointed over there. I, yeah. That was my kind of thing, you know? But I learned from him and I studied him. I yeah. can't grow the mustache, but I'm, good, I'm, you know, I'm trying. You can always use the, the napkins with the makeup and the collar. Yes, yeah. for respect. And uh, the Masked Saints is another mm. one. So a pastor and a professional wrestler accept a position at a struggling church where he helps the community both in his official capacity and as his alter ego, the saint. But that's Roddy, Rowdy Roddy Piper. Yes. And He's Diane Carroll. I mean, this is crazy. Diane Carroll, which is like, oh, my God. And I spent time with her. And she demanded a teleprompter and then never actually used it, which really? is the best. Yeah. And then um, I was wearing a wrestling outfit because I was a wrestler in the movie and she pinched my ass. <laughs> and I lo- it meant so much to me. I felt like, well, now I've made it. Now you've made it, Diane Carroll. And did you get to spend time with Roddy Piper? Yes, I did. I yeah. had done another uh, pilot with him and I did a couple other shows, so I had already known him. 
but he really it, we, look we filmed in north bay so there wasn't much to do <laughs> right. so we we spent a couple nights together and he gave me the secrets of his world it was like babe ruth coming out of the closet in the sandlot for me right right it was right just unbelievable he could not have been kinder and sweeter and just you know he changed a lot for me in terms of how i look at wrestling and the the little things sometimes wrestling feels so wild and live and it feels like they're making it up as they go mm. with someone like him you know every choice is intentional you're listening to rj city on the richard kraus show watch his wrestling talk show hey ew on aew's youtube page i suppose you you look to those guys uh you know to make sure that uh, your career progresses on uh, in a certain way, but also to make sure that you don't get hurt. To make, uh, there's so many concerns that you have to have every time you step into a ring. And a guy like that has seen it all. Yes. And one of the greatest compliments that I ever got was, I'll always work with RJ. There's no way I can get hurt. Because, you know, wrestling is an all-the-time thing. There's no off-season. Right. AEW's on TV multiple times a week, every single week. So if you get hurt, you can't do your job. So the secret is really, you know, how far can we go without seriously getting hurt? And the answer is pretty far. The human body is very resilient. What do you think the secret to the success of the AEW is? Uh, you know, it, it, it to me feels different because it, it feels like they're really not taking themselves as seriously. The fighting is is taken seriously, but the characters are are feel they feel different to me. The magic of wrestling is taking something so ridiculous and then presenting it in a way where you get wrapped up in it. Right. And you swear it's real in the moment. You know, maybe that's the beauty of it. And I think, you know, wrestling, especially where there was MMA grew, there was a lot of like, oh, we're like MMA. And it's like, no, 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 I don't think we are. I always liken it to a violent Muppet show. And when you embrace that, and when you embrace these great characters, like an Orange Cassidy or a Dan Housen, or Chris Jericho, and it's now this super group, and it's not only American, you know, we're doing Forbidden Door, the big show in Toronto, it's gonna mm -hmm. be uh, wrestlers from New Japan, pro wrestling, and then you have the best of the Mexican wrestlers, and it's this weird super group variety show of, of the best of people from, from everywhere. And it is very dynamic. If people aren't crazy about the wrestling that they thought they've seen a couple of years ago, I would suggest watching this and seeing if you enjoy it. Orange Cassidy, when he just puts his hands in his pockets and and sort of acts disinterested or does those little kicks, he just like barely taps the, the person that he's wrestling, yes. hysterical, and the audience goes crazy for it. Right. I, so wrestling is a play where the audience is inside the fourth wall. Mm. So when you come to the show, you know, you're it's like going to Pioneer Village. You're like, <laughs> I, you know, I'm going to play along with all of this. And that's... That's what makes it. I mean, people putting their hands in pockets is not anything special, but then when it's done in a way where people lose their minds over it, yeah, you know, then it becomes something you have to see. Is there anyone from wrestling history that stands out that you wish you could have wrestled or wish that you could have worked with? Oh my God, so many people. Dear Lord. I mean, Gorgeous George, mm. to me, is not only television, but influenced Muhammad Ali and Bob Dylan and John Waters. And you go, what, you know, it sucks when it's like, you you had to see these, it's like Martin and Lewis, you really have to see them live, you yeah. know? And now presenting the toast of the cult, the 
on those like in a really really sad way but also like randy savage mm. you, you cannot beat who is really a descendant of gorgeous george right you know is it possible that uh there was more than one gorgeous george and i ask that because as a kid as i told you earlier on i would go see these traveling and touring shows and there was a gorgeous george that played now i don't know whether it was the gorgeous george or someone who looked like him is it possible that they kind of franchised out the character i would say it's possible some guy from nova scotia dyed his hair and said nobody's gonna know well in those days you probably wouldn't have yes there was definitely a lot i mean there was definitely like a gorgeous george too and after that but a lot of the times that happened a lot. There was a guy named the Wolfman in Canada and he used to do tours. And then there were, it turned out there were other Wolfmans, other places. And then you get them confused and you go, how many Wolfmans are there? That's the beauty of the illegitimacy of professional wrestling. Right. I love it. Well, RJ, thanks so much for this. What a pleasure to talk to you. This was so delightful. It means so much to me, and it's one of the few shows my mother will be proud that I am on. (laughs) You've been listening to RJ City on The Richard Krause Show. Watch his wrestling talk show, Hey EW, on AEW's YouTube page. In this segment, we'll meet Corinna Chong, a writer, editor, and graphic designer based in Kelowna, BC, whose new book, The Whole Animal, is a collection of short stories in which flawed characters wrestle with the complexities of relationships with partners, parents, children, and friends as they struggle to find identity, belonging, and autonomy. Corinna Chong joined me via Zoom from Kelowna, BC. There's a a story called Butter Buns in uh, the collection uh, that is about the relationship between uh, a boy and his mother. uh, And uh, it's all about how their relationship changes over time when their interests change. And it's kind of a a fascinating look at, I guess, what it means to grow up and drift apart. Yeah, thank you. Um, I'm glad you uh, picked up on that story particularly. Um, Yeah, I think that Butter Buns for me was about exploring that separation between child and um, parent Mm -hmm. that happens around the time of late adolescence when you really as a you know person start to come into your own and realize your separateness from your parent but also kind of start to see them as their own person right who isn't just your mom right so <laughs> so the character gavin is realizing that his mom is a woman like a a woman right like um and and all that that entails um she is taking up bodybuilding at the time of the story as well and he's starting to see her body change uh and the way in which you know that sort of highlights the fact that she's this this separate very visceral person um and yeah that is kind of um paired against his own um emerging into adulthood as well yeah, coming of age as well and so in that story loss is very much uh one of the themes where i guess loss of a relationship or not exactly of a relationship but loss of an innocence i suppose uh, but loss is a, a theme that runs all the way through this book as well. Um, and I guess it's just human nature. I don't know. Uh, what, why Why is loss for you something worth exploring in this way? Yeah, I think that I'm really interested in exploring the ways that people repress a lot of the, the struggles and the issues um, that they go through. And I think loss is is one of those experiences that people don't know how to deal with. And mm-hmm. that I find really interesting to kind of um navigate those spaces that people don't know 
how to react to, right? So I, I find that I just, I tend to put characters into those situations because I want to see what they're going to do, right? Because that's where, um, yeah, people just become so interesting when they don't know how to handle their emotions, right? Um, and just the way that that expresses, the, uh, expresses itself and the way that um, it affects their other relationships too, right? So um, I think in that particular story in Butterbuns, um, he, uh, Gavin, the main character, discovers that his mother um, years ago had an abortion. Mm. And, um, you know, to kind of come to that realization that he wasn't aware of the fact that she was going through this loss, right? Because she, she you know, understandably kept it from him at the time. Um, and, you know, all the complicated emotions that that brings up for him for her and then for their relationship too, now that that comes to comes to light for them, how it changes their relationship. That's really interesting to me to explore. Why is uh, Porcelain Legs the most personal story for you? And, and from what I understand, it's the one that kind of stands out for you a little bit. It does stand out for me. Um, it was originally the, the title story of the collection um, because I think it's really personally important to me. And it's mostly about um, the way that that story talks about growing up as a mixed race person um, in the 90s when there weren't a lot of mixed race families uh, and kind of it, it reflects my own experience of what that really meant for me. You're listening to Corinna Chong on The Richard Krauss Show. Her book, The Whole Animal, is available wherever fine books are sold. Um, so that story is about um, a half Chinese a young girl, um, uh, kind of figuring out her difference from the other kids um, in her in her class, particularly um, a girl named Erica, who's the sort of statuesque blonde, you know, very light skinned um, model, right. uh, well, young girl, budding woman, right? Um, and the way that um, Queenie, the main character, sees herself in direct opposition to that in many ways. Um, and that um, the sort of main conflict of that story lies in the way that Queenie begins to see her mother as a representation of her Chineseness uh, and starts to push against that. So there's a discussion of internalized racism there that is really important to me um, and something that I experienced growing up for sure as well without really understanding what it was I was feeling. So this kind of resistance to my, my Chinese heritage um, and and how that then manifested in the way that I engaged with others, the friendships that I made or didn't make, um, and my relationships with my parents too. I suppose stories like Porcelain Legs and maybe Zora in the Wind, which is another uh, story in the book that examines girlhood and coming of age, that sort of thing, is a way to explore things that perhaps you as a person didn't explore for yourself for personally but in print it's a different thing and perhaps it triggers different emotions and things in you and makes you think differently about them yeah I mean writing for me is like my therapy really like I um I guess therapy is the I, word I was looking for there I think I absolutely and um you know I I try I often use writing as a way to make sense of these these things that are swimming around in my head that you know I I feel um, confused about, or I just have a lot of questions about, mm -hmm. and I put them down on the page in the form of characters, and that kind of helps me to make sense of it in some way, um, or to acknowledge it and name it. Um, and then, you know, when it comes to publishing these stories, the great thing then becomes sharing that experience with others and hopefully finding 
connection. Like it's wonderful to hear when people say, oh, that like that just reflected back to me my own experience in some way that was, you know, really illuminating. Um, That's like ultimately the goal, I think, is to, yeah, to, to make those connections with readers too. I think that so often, if you have a story that is extremely specific, if you think of porcelain legs uh, and growing up uh, in a biracial family, when people, when there weren't as many of them where you were growing up, where people didn't talk about it as much, that kind of thing, perhaps you felt like an outsider and uh, an outsider, it sounds like both in your home and, and in the outside world. But the very specificity of that becomes universal to anyone who's a reader who feels uh, like they're an outsider or has felt like an outsider. So the, the the details are slightly different, but the idea of it is something that you can relate to. Absolutely. Yes. And that's, that's my hope, right. The, with this collection going out is that people can find pieces of themselves in it. Um, my, my, you know, favorite writer, Alice Monroe, one of my, like the things that I find so magical about her is that she puts these moments of truth on the page. And I feel like I didn't realize that that, Thing was true until I read it in her words right, and, right. and that is like um yeah that's mind-blowing for me when I have that experience so that's what I want to give to readers also in a perfect world <laughs> well congratulations on the book and and thank you very much for spending some time with me today thank you thank you so much it was thank lovely you. to talk to you that was Corinna Chong on the Richard Krause show her book the whole animal is available wherever fine books are sold Check it out. Author Alex Hawley called it a powerful collection, and Kim Fu, author of Lesser Known Monsters of the 21st Century, says that these stories have a devastating effect. Big thanks to Corinna. Also, a big thanks to RJ City. You can watch his rustling talk show, Hey EW, on the AEW's YouTube page. Big thanks to RJ. Thank you for tolerating this. I appreciate it. You've been a good sport. But as always, my biggest thanks goes to you for listening. I'm Richard Krause. Stay happy, stay healthy, stay safe, stay weird, and we'll talk to you again soon.